and welcome to Not a Couple, a Will and Grace podcast. I'm Tess. I'm Matthew. And this week we're talking about Season 7, Episode 20, The Blonde Leading the Blind. It's an interesting title. It's been a while since we've had one, I think, that talks about both sides of the episode. It is. And it is weird, though, because it's connecting them in a way that isn't actually connected in the episode nope, at all. No, not connected at all. Completely unrelated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's all we have to say about that. Let's talk about the episode description. All right. All right. So, Will is jealous when his no-nonsense therapist, guest star Sharon Stone, becomes fast friends with Grace. The episode description is less equitable about what is included. Yeah, it's always doing that. Let's talk about the other plot line first, since yes. I think we have more to say about Will and Grace. Mm-hmm. So this week we learn that Karen can't see. And we learned this through a <laughs> number of very strange gags involving apparently the fact that Jack likes to wear pithy buttons. Yes, so which true. we've never seen before and we will never see again. <laughs> but just for this week, he has begun always wearing buttons. And they have tiny text on them that Karen cannot read because Karen can't read. There's another bit, isn't there, where she, like, mixes up Will and Grace or something? No, she steals a lunchbox from a small child because she thinks it's her purse. She thinks she was being mugged by a small dwarf, which is... But she was actually mugging the child. (laughs) Yes. Which I think shows some cognitive errors as well that the show does not really get into. Well, I mean, I think that when we're talking about Karen, we can assume that there are just cognitive errors in regards to the amount of drugs and alcohol she's Sure, so she's high as a kite. She bumps into the little kid. She's like, hey, kid, don't take my purse. She probably gives the kid her purse. Now this kid is on drugs. But didn't eat a now your kid's salad on, sandwich. Now your kid's on crack. <laughs> and your husband's probably having an affair. <laughs> Apocalypse. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, too real. Too real. Uh, d- in case you're curious, we've mentioned to you all that we live in Philadelphia, which now officially has a confirmed case of coronavirus. Yes, we have the we have the illness. The we neither of us currently have the illness. Yes, not personally, but but emotionally. <laughs> emotionally, we have the illness, and we are experiencing various states of the higher ed institutions that we report mm. to often canceling everything. We're we're right in the middle because, you know, we're part of the quote-unquote privileged class that are being told to go home to their mommies. But then we also are university employees, so we can't do that. Yep. So. Also, my mommy doesn't live in Philadelphia. My mommy doesn't either. My mommy did, wasn't freaking out, though, and saying, like, come home. That's good. My mommy thought that when I said that the university that I work for was closing... Mm that that meant I was out of a job. <laughs> no. And I was like, no. Not yet, anyway. No. I'm union. I'm protected. At least you're in a state school. They could just close Villanova tomorrow. That's true. Probably wouldn't, but they could. And now everyone knows where you go to school. That's fine. <laughs> if someone was going to murder me, they probably would have already done it. Yeah, we put enough about ourselves online. Missouri, if you're going to murder me, at least call first. Mm-hmm. But uh, and when you do call out, I'll give you a list of Matthew's fears and his daily schedule. That's a great idea. Just to simplify things. Yeah, it would just be easier to die quicker. Yeah, we don't want to drag it out. Um, I do think that the Glasses episode is interesting almost more because the the initial bit of it is just kind of like slapstick and silly. And like Karen tries to slap Jack and she can't because she's blind and she can't read the buttons. But what's interesting is that as the episode progresses, when she actually gets Glasses, there's this really like hilarious awful moment where she like turns around to see herself in the mirror for the first time oh my god and she's like oh god what is that because she hasn't looked at herself in 400 years yes it's a very oh i'm like the crypt keeper moment yes it's like the portrait of dorian gray meets jamie lee curtis from freaky friday it's gorgeous it's a beautiful shot in a beautiful scene um 
and also, also she looks fine. So she looks like just the same as she always has. But considering that Karen is anywhere between forty-five and a thousand, right? Um, we don't know when the last time she looks at the at the pane of glass with her reflection in it. I also did appreciate that the show's really been leaning into Karen being a timeless, like, yes. swamp monster lately. They come back out in the revival, but, like, right now, they're definitely in, like, the Karen is ancient and will never die. Yes, because she says something about when she was growing up, they didn't have glasses, and then the op- optometrist says something about how they were invented in, like, the 16th century. Yeah, <laughs> and, she- and Jack's like, oh, she didn't like them then either. <laughs> like, okay. Because Karen is a thousand. Karen's a thousand years old. It actually, like, not to, like, segue onto this too much, but, like, there is a case to be made for, like, Karen could totally be that old because it takes her so long to, like, grow and evolve that, like, it would take her 400 years to become a normal thinking human being. Mm-hmm. Terrifying as that is. I think she's a Time Lord. She is a Time Lord. Oh, there's a lot of Time Lord drama happening right now, but I don't... I've been watching the show, so I only know what I've been reading on io9, and I do not want to get into it on this podcast, which is not a Doctor Who podcast. Not a Doctor Who podcast. Although, sidebar, the question is not Doctor Who anymore. It's Doctor what? That doesn't make sense. The it show, doesn't really make sense on the, the show The show either. is called Doctor Who. It's still called Doctor Who, but the question is, Doctor what? They're Anyways, Time Lord. moving on. Uh, and it's, it's just great that Karen is, like, afraid of aging kind of she's concerned about aging and perhaps the implications it has for her mortality which Mm -hmm. may or may not be a thing right because again she's a timeless being but it it is a nice way of kind of this episode's plot with karen and jack and to lesser extent rosario kind of is on the slapstick side of things Mm -hmm. but will and grace always does a really good job with its plots when it has just like that tiny little anchor in reality Mm -hmm. because it like keeps it from floating away into crazy land like it is still like grounded in something real yeah so then when that plot line kind of comes to a natural conclusion you can say i had some good laughs but also like i watched this character grow and change Mm -hmm. aww hooray yeah so also um we don't really know what the impetus for this plot was No, not a clue. Like, it kind of comes out of nowhere. However, there is a very beautiful moment in which Karen puts the glasses on and looks at herself in the mirror, and Rosie comes to talk to her, and she's like, you look like Tina Fey. (laughs) And she looks like Tina Fey. She really does. And maybe that was all that plot was, was that... Someone noticed that Megan Mullally looked like Tina Fey when she wore glasses. Yep. And I'm here for it. I'm here for it, too. Not everything needs to change the world. That's true. Let's talk about an episode plot that does kind of change the world of this show. Although it probably ultimately won't. Because nothing is permanent on this show. No, but it'd be so great if it was, wasn't it? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? What? <laughs> Doctor what? Doctor what? <laughs> so, the uh, as we discussed earlier, uh, Sharon Stone is a guest star this week. She's playing a therapist. So this episode features Will's return to therapy. This is the third time in the show that we've seen mm-hmm. Will go to therapy. The first one was way back in, like, season two. Right. When he goes to therapy because he's been having sex dreams about Grace. Yuck. Then there was the other time, which I believe was in season... Four. Four. Season four, where um, we don't actually see the therapist, but Will and Grace are in therapy together Mm -hmm. to talk through whether or not they want to have a baby together. And I remember the the first one is a goofy plot, but the second one is really very vital because it's a... I don't even think there's really a joke plot line to that one. I think it really is just Grace and Will talking it through. Yeah. And the comedy is left to Jack and Karen. Mm-hmm. They sort of, yeah, trouble through whether or not it makes sense for them to co-parent a child. Mm-hmm. 
and what that means for them as yeah. friends and what that means for their relationship. And Right. It's a show pretending that there's going to be real consequences and effects. But then actions. Harry Connick Jr. Right. Um, but And this episode is kind of in between. Yes. I would say it's certainly closer to the season two episode because it is mostly slapstick. And there's also some weird therapist jealousy, which apparently the show thinks is a thing. But then it does kind of come down on like a really serious surprising moment which is treated very fleetly but is still I think something we want to talk about first of all before we talk about anything else in this episode I think we just need to air out the fact that Sharon Stone is playing an awful therapist this woman is deaf something is seriously wrong with her yeah she's like a sociopath or like a She's what people think feminists are because every interaction <laughs> she has with a man, she's very cruel to them. Yeah. Every interaction we see her with a woman, which granted is just Grace, um, she's abundantly nice to her and very kind and generous. And it's very, very strange. Yeah. it's So her relationship with Will is basically just like to berate him for the things he comes to the therapy to talk about mm -hmm. and then like punish him. But not in a sexy way. No. Which wouldn't be appropriate either because she's still a therapist, but like... Or also in a helpful way. Um, so the first bit of his session we see is he spent the majority of the session talking about a stapler. Mm -hmm. Which, mood, I've been there. And then Sharon Stone kind of cuts the chase being like, look, the stapler is a metaphor for your penis. You think that this other guy at the office is a bigger dick than you. Which is all kinds of Freudian bullshit. Also, even if it wasn't Freudian bullshit, like, that means something fundamentally different to a gay man than a straight man. Yes. But, whatever. And so then she gives Will homework, which is typical in therapy. Sure. And I then, was nodding along with that. And the, the homework is to write a letter to his younger self, which, okay. again, also not that unusual in therapy. But then it's to write a letter to his younger self apologizing for the disaster he's become. Yeah. Which is... Mean. Very mean. It's just cruel. That seems like a nightmare that, like, Evan Hansen would have. Yes, it, it is. <laughs> I think I've written it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just so weird. It's so yeah. weird that she's so mean. Because it doesn't bring anything to the episode. Right. And, I mean, there are times that I've experienced in therapy as a person myself where my therapist has kind of been like, so you've been ruminating on this one particular thing, and it seems to me that we're not actually getting to the heart of what's really mm -hmm. bothering you. That's not unusual in therapy. And depending on the relationship you have with your therapist, that may look a bit like a call-out. Right. Like, I kind of had, like, a joke with my last therapist about, like, don't call me out like this, Travis. Mm -hmm. Like, but typically it's not delivered in such a callous and harsh way. Yeah. Well, it's not even, like, a one-off thing. Like, throughout the entire episode, Will and this therapist have this antagonistic relationship, and he's just like... Sure, this is fine. He's, like, desperate for her approval, too. Yeah. Which is, like, a consistent thread throughout the whole this episode. This must be Vince's bad therapist. I wonder. And he just started going to her, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So then the additionally inappropriate piece of this therapist is that she agrees to see Grace while also seeing Will. Yes, that's also Walker's. In general, I mean, it's not weird for multiple people to have the same therapist, but it is weird for someone to to treat people individually who exist in a group. Like, mm -hmm. it's not considered good practice typically for, like, someone in couples therapy to see the same couples therapist as a couple and then that same therapist for their individual therapy. Mm -hmm. It makes much more sense for them to have separate individual therapists and then one couples therapist together. Sure. And if there's, like, a situation, my understanding is, where, like, it's individual therapy and, like, the therapist invites you to bring in your partner. That's different. That's a totally different situation because it's still your therapy. Yeah, but so 
ultimately, knowing the history that she knows of Grace from Will, she should not be treating Grace mm -hmm. because she, she, her perceptions are already colored. And frankly, she's not treating Grace. She's, she's just not. hanging out with Grace for an hour and a half. It seems like she's just like chatting with Grace, which also is, again, extremely unprofessional. You charge for that by the hour, mm -hmm. typically. So why is she going into someone else's session? Mm -hmm. And why is she just chatting with Grace? Why is she going into the session of an arsonist? That's just dangerous. Yeah. I mean, unless you have good fire insurance. Yeah, I guess. And, and then also her inviting Grace to lunch is, again, really blurring that boundary line. And I had kind of forgotten what this plot looked like. And for a brief moment, I was like, oh, it's just a repeat of the one where the therapist wants to fuck Grace, only this time it's with lesbians. Mm -hmm. And then I remembered that, no, that but wasn't happening. it's really what not. What's really happening is that, like, there's this plot line about the therapist's book. And, like, she wants to put Grace in the book. As, like, a case study. As, like, a case study. And I kind of thought that that was where the episode was going to lie. Because Grace clearly has, like, some degree of narcissism. She has, like, several various neuro things happening. Sure. And I think, like, there's even episodes where they talk about her being narcissistic. Like, I think maybe the second season episode that might come up at some point. It does. Um... But that's not harped on at all. What it becomes is just Grace and Will fighting over this nonsense trophy of being in the book. But they don't want to be in the book together. They want to be in the book... Like, one of them is in the book and one of them is not. Yes. And so that was also very strange. So first off, I found it a little weird to see that someone would be so excited to be considered a case study in, like, a psychiatrist's book. Mm -hmm. But then I really thought about it. As a mentally ill person, there is this sort of thing that exists sometimes where you're like you especially if you're like an overachiever like mm -hmm. myself like you want to be like your therapist's favorite patient like you want to get a good grade in therapy so you like you do want to get a good grade in therapy so like the ultimate goal of that would to be like potentially to be a research subject it's like getting extra credit but in therapy. also my understanding of how therapy works is that typically if someone is a case study it's conducted using a pseudonym with a lot of details redacted and so it wouldn't be attached to you at all. Right. And oftentimes that's a question that is like already solved prior to you ever taking on this therapist as a sure. provider. So well, that's, it's not something that would happen after only one session. Yeah. I mean. Now that you were really crazy. I mean, and that's, you see, that's the thing is that I don't know that Grace presents any sort of like atypical neuroses that warrant her to be a case study in a book yeah it's just it's a weird plot line because it seems like it's orchestrated to give will and grace a way to fight yeah they certainly don't need any of those I yeah mean, they will fight about normal stuff yeah there's plenty of ways you could segue a therapy episode to be about them fighting mm -hmm. um the show even actually if we want to jump to the end the show actually gives us the most obvious one at the end which is that Will and Grace come into the therapist's office together and they're having a joint session because they're fighting about, like, who's going to be in the case study. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to think of how it even comes up, but at one point, Will and Grace are both just like, look, we get it. Like, we're crazy. Like, we're so codependent. Like, we can't function without any other people. Like, we're super damaged. We can't have other people, like, we can't have emotional relationships with other yeah. people because we're so relying on each other. It's all these things that the show has always been telling us about the relationship, which is that, you know, they're stuck together. They're very codependent. Like, they have trouble interacting with other people when they really just want to be Will and Grace. Mm -hmm. And the show has always treated this as a negative. And I'm very surprised by the fact that in the middle of this, I think she even cuts them off, the therapist interrupts and is like, that's not your problem. Yes. She's like, that. you have a really healthy relationship. Which, uh, like, I, I honestly, like, that floored me. 
Yes. That completely floored me. I mean, I want to offer that we should take that with like a heaping serving of salt because sure, again, the therapist is crazy. This therapist is garbage. It's... But it is the first time that anyone on this show has ever treated Will and Grace's relationship as a unit mm-hmm. as something other than like weird foreign other or wrong and i think the fact that it concludes the episode and there's no there's neither a joke nor a rebuttal of it in the episode i think we are meant to take that as the producers and the writers communicating with us and saying this is a healthy relationship this is not why i wanted you for the case study Mm -hmm. that's totally unrelated to this not that we get any resolution on the case study thing. Yes. Because we don't. We really don't even know why either of them are considered as case studies. We know that Will starts faking symptoms to appear weirder. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, And we know that then Grace begins to mimic and mock those symptoms <laughs> in front of the therapist, which is strange. And I mean, I think that ultimately this conflict that they have about who's going to be the case study really speaks more to their, like, struggle to be individuals and, like, mm-hmm. discrete different people within their unit and, like, have things that are just theirs. Mm-hmm. But but that's what the show is trying, in this episode at least, is trying to tell us is wrong. Yes. They shouldn't be fighting to, for individualism on its own merits or mm-hmm. unhealthy individualism. Like, they are a strong unit. They work well together. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting is, like, specifically the way the therapist framed it was that they they either balance or level each other out. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so interesting because, like, that's that's actually what we have seen in the show mm-hmm. is that Will and Grace don't get into trouble in and of themselves. They usually get into trouble when they try to separate mm-hmm. the codependent dyad or when one or the other starts to shift further along the spectrum yep. than the other one. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's something you and I have experienced too. Like yeah. we have most of our tension in our relationship when we try to be independent in like either a selfish or an unthinking way, mm-hmm. or when we aren't balancing each other out. Yeah, there have been times where it's like one of us is like going through it, mm-hmm. and it kind of tips the scale. And it like the reason that it causes tension isn't because it tips the scale and the scales are suddenly like uneven. It's right. because it tips the scales and the scales become uneven because we both slide to the one side. Right. Like for example, like. I am kind of an ambivert, and you are definitely more of an introvert. Oh, 100%. With some slight extrovert tendencies, but they're mostly masking. Yes. So when I'm experiencing extreme introversion, we usually end up fighting because we're both spending too much time together, yep. and it stresses us out. We're just like, oh, God, we need introvert time, but we don't know how to have introvert time without each other, and you're driving me crazy. Go away. But also, the same thing happens when we're extroverted together. Like, if we do too many outgoing things, we both end up freaking out mm-hmm. because you don't have that introvert time to level out. Yep. Like, and so I tend to, like, over-extrovert to the point that I'm annoying. Uh-huh. And, like, we we feed off of that similarity in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Like, we're actually probably at our healthiest when we are being a little bit more opposite. Yeah. Because we we complete each other. You complete me. <laughs> you had me at hello. That's a lie. Yeah, I did not have you at hello. No, I initially thought you were so annoying. And I, you still think I'm so annoying. I do. So that hasn't changed. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's what's interesting about this episode is that it is it is saying the thing that has been implicit in the show for a long time, but yet the thing that the show has refused to admit. Yeah, and it's sort of interesting if you think about that from like a meta level. The show has pitched itself always as Will and Grace as like this couple who aren't a couple. Mm-hmm. But then they spend they've spent now we've watched almost seven whole seasons of them trying to pull that apart mm-hmm. and making the claim that like but that is 
not a thing that you can do as a functioning adult. Yeah. And now the show just, like, threw a huge wrench in the works to be like, actually, yes, it is. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a perfectly acceptable way to live your life. Yeah. And I think that it's nice to finally kind of get that perspective because ultimately, Will and Grace really aren't hurting anyone by doing this. Mm-hmm. It's just unusual. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, look at, on the broader spectrum, let's look at the whole seasons that we've looked at so far, the whole series. I mean, where are the major points where Will and Grace have a lot of fighting and contention? I mean, in the premiere, we have Grace starting to move out of the apartment and it causes a huge fight with them and they mm-hmm. ultimately move back in together. Yep. We have... At the end of season four, where we talked about with the therapist episode, mm-hmm. we have this episode or the with series the, of episodes. With the baby. With the baby. We have the series of episodes where Will and Grace are making the decision together to together co-parent a baby. And like produce it genetically mm-hmm. and like there's like conversations about sperm and eggs and all that stuff. And they handle it, in, especially for the show, a fairly responsible way until the moment that one of them pulls away from the other one. Yep. And it screws up their relationship for episodes after that. It screws up their relationship for almost two seasons after Mm -hmm. that because then Grace, not only does she back out of the contract to have a baby, Mm -hmm. but she also backs out of her relationship with Will almost Mm -hmm. entirely because now she's with Leo. Yep. And then we sort of see that, like, tension continue throughout her relationship with Leo. And they start to come back together when things aren't going well with Leo. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of pull apart again when she tries again. Mm -hmm. Then he cheats. And so then her and Will are back together. And then their relationship kind of repairs a bit. Yeah. And And I I know in my heart that this is a one-off episode. And I can't imagine this having a lot of major repercussions. I mean, we're close to the end of a season, so it might have some small ripple effects. Because every once in a while, Will and Grace does have this weird thing called continuity at the end of seasons. And and I think, like, part of it is that I think now, in season seven, the show has enough of a tale that it can look back and start to respond to itself. Mm -hmm. But I think the fact that, first of all, we know that the show's original run ends with them not being friends. Yes. We also know that the revival continues to have this dichotomy where sometimes it shames Will and Grace for being codependent. Yep. So we know that this is not an ideal that the show is able to consistently lock onto. We know that this is not, like, the logical evolution of the show. And, like, now the rest of season eight is going to be like, Will and Grace are super great, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, we know that. And yet, it's still nice in this one moment to see the show realizing what it's really about. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason that, at least for me, that that was so, like, necessary and made such an impact is because we've had a couple of conversations on this podcast in the past about, like, seeing yourself represented in media. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that we like this show is that it's one of the few representations of a similar relationship to the one that you and I have. Yeah. um, That exists in media. And so it was kind of the first time that we've seen, like, this is this relationship. It's like the relationship you have. And despite the fact that she's a very flawed and fucked up therapist, Mm -hmm. she says it's healthy. Yeah. And that's kind of nice. It's nice to kind of get that, like, go team. It's nice to get that validation. Yeah. Even if it's coming from a crazy Sharon Stone. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm aware of the fact that we keep saying crazy and how, like, that doesn't really mesh with us trying to be like, but this isn't how mental health care works. Sure. But, like, this bitch batshit. No, she's crazy. This is some bananas, bonkers, balls, nonsense. She's literally written as a crazy therapist. It's a whole thing. We could we could dissect that. That could be a that thesis. Trope. We could dissect that trope. I mean, part of it is because it's Sharon Stone, so, like, it's the 2000s, so she has to play someone crazy because that's Sharon Stone's bit. Can I tell you something? I'm not 100% sure who Sharon Stone is. She's the bunny boiler. No, she's not. Yes, she is. No, that's Glenn Close. 
No, it's not. Yes, it is. Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. She's the bunny boiler. She has BPD. Trust me, I know this. Well, then which one's Sharon Stone? Ah, that's why I said I don't know who she is. Well, that's really embarrassing. If I saw this whole episode, I thought that Sharon Stone was Glenn Close. Hasn't Glenn... No, she's in Basic Instinct. That's not the one with the bunny boiling. Oh, isn't it? That's Fatal Attraction. Oh. Wait. Okay, I'm realizing... Yeah. Basic Instinct's the one where she flashes her vulva. Yeah, that Thor... Okay. You completely got these movies wrong. No, no, no. I just didn't realize that those weren't different movies. I oh, thought you that... thought that the bunny boiler flashed your vulva? Yes, I did! <laughs> like, I, until you, like, started saying these out loud, like, it's it's sort of like in the movies where, like, you're trying to convince the person, like, no, like, you are the murderer and you have a split personality. They're like, no, I can't be. And then you're like, but you weren't in two places at once. You were in one place killing that guy. And then they start splicing the scenes together. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Like, I, I just... I just didn't really realize... So on a fundamental level, that Basic Instinct and Fatal Attraction were not the same movie. So wait, like, let's just back up. Is Sharon Stone, like, a mentally ill character in Basic Instinct? Or is she yeah, just... Yeah, she's... Or is she just showing her vulva? No, she's, like, she's bisexual, so she's crazy. Oh, of course! <laughs> I mean, the movie's from 1992. What do you expect? <laughs> As we all know, first of all, bisexuality wasn't invented until 1992. Yeah, like... A and then there was a 20-year period where everyone was crazy. Right. I'm going to give you, like, a brief summary of Basic Instinct, a movie that I thought was Fatal Attraction. <laughs> Homicide detective investigates a murder. He's been stabbed to death with an ice pick during sex. The only suspect is the bisexual girlfriend who um, flashes her vulva during a lie detector test. And then... Uh, I think they have an affair, which is dumb because she's a murderer. A murderer. No, it's a different lady that he's having an affair with. Oh, okay. Um, Wait, how do they know it's an ice pick? I don't know. Oh, like, sorry. I realized that you said ice pick and I said ice pick bag, but I actually thought you meant icicle. And I was like, but how would they know there's no murder weapon? Yeah, sorry. This is confusing. So I think... Yeah, okay, sorry. I forgot what, who's, which character is which. So yes, Catherine is the bisexual murderer. She kills people with ice picks. It's a whole thing. Fair enough. The main character fucks her, but then probably is about to get murdered by her with an ice pick. Sorry I spoiled Basic Instinct for you. Kind of. That movie came out like almost 30 years ago. I think we can all get over it. Yeah. So anyways, that's the plot of Basic Instinct, which it's is not, not Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. That's the one about the affair with the woman who has BPD and then she starts stalking people. It's not really that different of a movie. I mean, all the details are different, but... The, but the message of the movie... Is Michael Douglas in Basic Instinct? Yes, he is. That's why you confuse them, because he's also in Fatal Attraction. See? Okay, so the message of both movies is bitches be crazy, especially if they're interested in ladies, because that's messed up, because it's the there's, 90s. There's no bisexual plot in Fatal Attraction. Yeah, there's got to be kind of a bisexual plot. No! She's, like, fixated on both of them. No, she just wants to get the wife out of the way. Yeah, under her body. No. I, I think what you're actually saying is that the 90s and the late 80s taught us that bitches be cray, especially if they're interested in Michael Douglas. Yeah, you're not wrong. And if you recall, Michael Douglas was Admittedly, Mike, I'm on this show. Okay, I'm realizing that Fatal Attraction is actually older than Basic Instinct. Yes, of course it is. Isn't it from like 88? It's from 87. Oh, yeah. Huh. Well, I have a lot of... That, uh, Googling to do after this episode. Good listeners. thing that we're likely going to be quarantined in the city of Philadelphia because of coronavirus. You'll have so tons true. of time for that. So true. 
All right. Is there anything else we want to talk about this week? I'm just really surprised that Fatal Attraction doesn't have any bisexual energy. I think you're confusing them because I am bisexual and have BPD. Sure. And that's a movie about BPD and the other one is a movie about bisexuality. Sure. It's very confusing. They're not the same movie. They're not the same movie. If you learn nothing else from this podcast, listeners, know that those are not the same movie. They're not. But maybe we should make a movie that is a sequel to both of them. Does it just star Michael Douglas and Michael Douglas? No, I think in this scenario, Michael Douglas is dead because he has to have the ice pick. Oh, he dies. That's right. It's implied that he's about to die. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Michael Douglas and Michael Douglas' ghost. Ooh. That could be hot. He's like 80. Good point. Let's cast an actor who can age himself up to look like Michael Douglas. Matthew, tell them where they can find us on the internet. <laughs> All right, everyone. If you have complaints about this episode, as you almost certainly do. You should, in fact. Um, the best place to whine about it is on our Twitter page. We are at Not A Couple Show. You can also send us a mean email at notacouplepodcast at gmail.com. Or send us a message on our Facebook or Tumblr page. And if you're listening to this podcast, you know that you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Podbean. Yep. Um, as a quick reminder to everyone to please make sure you're practicing social distancing and diligent hand washing, mm-hmm. um, or else you'll be trapped in your apartment with nothing to do but listen to this podcast. I mean, not the worst thing in the world. But up there. Yeah. I mean, you'll at least have to, like, take breaks to watch episodes of Will and Grace and then listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. It'd be weird if you were just listening to it without watching the episodes. Not to shame you. How dare you not listen to this podcast in conjunction with the episodes of Will and Grace? It's just so easy now. It's on Hulu. Remember a million years ago when we had to buy DVDs? Yes. Like servants? <laughs> like poor, unfortunate souls who are like, oh, I have to buy the DVD because I don't own Warner Brothers. That's what we sounded like. Mm-hmm. Do you think we get Hulu to sponsor this? No. Probably not. I definitely don't think so. Okay, that's it. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Um, We will catch you next week with more Will and Grace. I'm Tess. I'm Matthew. And this has been Not a Couple. Bye-bye. Bye. This week's episode of Not a Couple was recorded in front of a live studio audience of one cat. Meow. Hi, Eliza. Stay healthy. Meow. This week's episode of Not a Couple was sponsored by Fatal Attraction. No, it was sponsored by Basic Instinct. No, it was sponsored by Michael Douglas. Okay, fair. <laughs>